0: Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services.
1: How are you guys doing? Good. For those of you that canoed here, I would just want to say thank you for making the effort. Um, yeah. So we should just take a second and kind of acknowledge it's. Yeah, it's been a challenging time for the community, hasn't it? The last many days with the storms and the flooding, and our our little uh, town has been uh, in the national news. I, I I only realized that last week when I had you know there's some friends and family members that are in other parts of the state and they're reaching out. Are you guys okay? Are you still there? Did you did you wash away and um, so, yeah, um, a lot of people have been affected by that, and um, but we appreciate you guys coming out and, and being here and, and uh, worshiping together this morning, and let's just keep those people that are affected in mind. We've, we've actually created some systems to help, um, so if you know of someone that uh, needs help right now uh, because of that, then uh, definitely uh, reach out and let us know because we have some ways to connect them with some, some real practical help. So also um, before we start I just want to acknowledge too there um, there's a man who um, his name is pastor Jack Hayford who passed away this week and he's um, uh, he was at a ripe old age but um, he played a significant role I think in many people's lives um, and if you didn't know him he was he's kind of a kind of a um, yeah just an elder statesman of the faith in the Foursquare Church he planted a, a hundreds, I think, hundreds of churches out of his church in Southern California. He was the president of Foursquare for a little while um, and just a real man of integrity. He wrote dozens of books and hundreds of songs and had a huge, I think a quiet but significant influence over uh, the church the last um, few decades. In fact, um, personally for us, his uh, church uh, sent out and planted the church church. The Foursquare Church in Aptos that we know as the Coastlands, uh, almost 40 years ago. And uh, that is a church that just in the last year, we've brought into partnership with our um, collective churches. So there's Hope in Scotts Valley, Hope here in Soquel, and then the Coastlands in uh, Aptos, and together we all kind of collectively lead those communities. And so, anyway, just if you think about it, maybe be praying for his family and his his loved ones um, during this season. So um, we are in a series called Brand New Day. This is the second of four of them. Um, and the series, the name of it and the theme of it was inspired by my wife, actually. She, when, when our children were young, uh, she's a great mom. And she had lots of wisdom. But one of the things that really stood out to me about the season when our kids were really young is when, when one of our kids would have a hard day, they'd have a challenging day, at night when we'd be putting them Down for bed, and and uh, Amy would take time and and talk with them and and pray with them, and she'd always say this. She'd say, "Tomorrow is a brand new day," and I think that encapsulated for me the idea that um, that mercy is something that begins afresh each day and is available to us as followers of Jesus, and that's that's significant. We we're going to look at a passage of scripture that talks about that. In fact, but before we do, uh, before we read that passage, I want to we're going to show you a video now. Um, this is a testimony, uh, and that's going to be part of the rhythm of this series, is we're going to hear um, testimony videos from people, uh, leaders, and, and people in our um, faith community. And this particular one is from my friend uh, Aaron Simpson, who's here today. And if you don't know Aaron, um, it's fine. He doesn't need more friends, so just don't... Uh, no, you, you should get to know Aaron. He, uh, we work together, uh, both in uh, church stuff and in, in our day jobs. We work together. Uh, but Aaron, if you don't know him, he, he moved down for, to Portland to come here specifically to help us with Skate Church. Um, he, you, many of you know Joe Gruber. He's the pastor at the church in Portland. And, um, and uh, Aaron was part of that community and decided, he heard the call and decided, I'm going to go down and help Uh, Hope and Soquel with Skate Church and he has been and been totally crushing it But I asked him if he would just share a little piece of his story This is obviously just it's only a couple minutes. uh, So it's just a small part, uh, but he has an awesome testimony So without further ado, let's let's see that video
2: At the age 15 I uh, I started partying high school started partying using a lot of drugs and Just kind of going down that route. By 18, I had probably done every drug there is to do. I weighed 125 pounds my senior year of high school. And I distinctively remember looking in the mirror at my parents' house in the bathroom and my face was just sunk in. And I just remember saying like, what are you doing? And every time I tell this story, I always say it's like an angel came down and smacked me. What are you doing? How did you get here? And I think in that moment, I realized I needed that change. I always thought it was that angel. And I always I always said it was an angel. And I would say at at the end, when I I finally got clean and sober. I still wasn't there. I wasn't fully leaned into God's promise. It took quite a few years after that to realize the mercy that he showed me and what he did for me by getting clean and helping me get clean. I didn't understand how you could have a best friend in Jesus. I never understood that. I grew up religious. I grew up in the church, I got baptized at 13, but I still never fully leaned in until I met Joe Gruber, actually, and he he taught me about this different relationship with God that changed my life um, in just an incredible way. I got re-baptized, Joe re-baptized me. I just started leaning in and started walking, a different walk, and it completely changed my life. And I would suggest to anyone and everyone that just lean in a little more, push a little harder, and I think that you'll get, I know, I don't think, I know that you'll get these results that you wouldn't ever imagine as possible just by having a little faith. I think for me I didn't I didn't fully believe in God until I had a mentor tell me to lean in, walked me through it, helped me through it, and I fully leaned in and the the overwhelming love and power that God has shown me over the last couple years has radically changed my life for the better. I would really encourage people to be more vulnerable and the church and be more honest um, and not necessarily judge someone because they have crappy tattoos or because they look this way. Um, Just lean into God and love people like He would love people.
1: Yeah, thanks Aaron for sharing that. And thanks for moving all this way to to love our kids. Um so as we uh before we read the scripture, I have this this um question for you. Have you ever have you ever been wronged by someone and wanted uh revenge? Have you ever wanted to get back at that person? That's a yeah, uh-huh. I hey man, I see that hand. Um that's a very um it's a very human thing to feel. Um a few years ago, my wife and I and our kids—we moved into a new house. And within the first year, uh, something we realized something was kind of going on. There was a um, a person would come at night and like bang on our door after we were in bed. And I, you know, we wake up and I'd come downstairs and there'd be no one there. Um, and then we installed some cameras. And it happened a few times. And we installed some cameras. And then. Uh, we caught this person on camera, but they had a hood and a mask, and it was just it was getting like weirder and scarier. And this person would come and bang on the doors, or they'd bang on the window and run off. And I got, I just got really um, uh, offended, you know? I just was like, how could this, you know? And I started imagining all these scenarios, and I, I did some things. I'm not like super proud of this now, looking back, but like I, I built a man trap. Um, I, I had this whole thing. I, I thought I knew where he was going to be, and so I had this whole like trap arranged. I'm not going to tell you the details because, however violent you think it is, it's a little bit more than that. And <clears throat> I rigged up some bear spray at one point to tri- to trip off when you open the gate. I couldn't get him. Um, and at one point, I was I was up late enough where I heard the knock, and I thought oh, this is the guy again, and and more than once, he did it twice in a row, so I thought, I'm gonna go wait outside for him. So I went outside, I had a black hoodie and I was hiding in the parking lot, and I had, uh, I had a stun gun in my hand, and yes, this, this was like, I don't know what I was thinking, I, I was waiting for this guy, and sure enough, I'm waiting in the dark, and here he comes back up the driveway again, and I see him, and he sees me and he jumps in the air and turns around and runs off and i chase after him and i run and i, I run and we cross a street and down another like neighborhood and i catch him in this patio and i corner him and i realize as i corner him what am i doing <laughs> like what has gotten a hold of me and i was imagine- like what am i going to do like am i actually going to hurt this person like and at, and and as I, like we like kind of Are like circling each other, and then he kind of steps into the light. I realize this is like a seventeen-year-old, like scrawny, underfed kid, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, what was I going to do? Hurt him? You know, harm this? You know, and all, and I realized that, you know, as a, as a human being, I wanted revenge, but as a Jesus follower, it's just not in me to want to hurt anybody. You know, and I realized it in that moment. you know, Jeremiah uh, is, uh, was a prophet, and he wrote the scripture we're going to be looking at today. And he had a lot of reasons to want to seek revenge. Um, you know, he was a prophet and leader in a very dark time in Israel when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians um, destroyed Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem and everything sacred to their people. They enslaved the people and carted many of them off back to Babylon uh, in fact, you know, we just came through this series uh, last year, last days, right? And, and the, the, this, these feelings of anger were still present in the, in the Hebrew culture when John um, wrote about the evils of empire and slavery and oppression, and he used the word Babylon to describe it. That's how, that's how uh, serious it was for this people group. This was, um, and these things took place 600 years before Jesus, so that's 2,600 years ago for us, um, and because of this dark time, that's why we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, because he had a lot of really sad things to talk about. Uh, but he wasn't just a prophet. He was also a master poet. And we're going to read from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, in fact, we're going to have it up on the screen. Um, but I wanted, before we do, I would just want to give you an example, because the verse we're going to read is actually quite hopeful. But I wanted you to just get a taste of the—because most of Lamentations is not— It's where we get the word lament. He's lamenting. He's feeling deep sorrow over something that's deeply sorrowful. And so I wanted to give you a taste of that. This part I don't have up on the screen. I just wanted to read it to you, just just so you have a taste. This is Lamentations earlier in chapter 3. He says this, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the lords of wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Kind of a Debbie Downer, isn't he? He's like, yeah, it's pretty... pretty. Pretty down, he said. He was he uh, he has walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's barred my way with blocks of stone, and he's made my paths crooked. You know, for us, we don't we don't spend a lot of time lamenting things. Part of it is we don't have things like Jeremiah had to lament. Our you know our people are not enslaved, for example, or subjugated by an evil empire, but also, I think we're, we're uncomfortable with this kind of, this kind of thing. And I, I read some of this just to show that God is not uncomfortable with these kinds of conversations. Jeremiah prayed this. He wrote poetry about it. And he wrote it down and shared it. And God is okay. He's okay with it. He's okay with ta- us talking about this. If you felt like you've been in a dark place, but somehow you had to shield other people from it, I want to just encourage you that... That's not our way. You don't have to shield anyone, least of all God, from your dark feelings. All right, so this is the, this is the verse right here. This is the passage we're in. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, if you have your Bible and you want to read along, you can. Also, we'll have it up on the screen here. It says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Now, if you were here last week, you remember uh, Tim talked about the <clears throat> that the starting point for all of this thinking, to bring your, your thinking into right relationship with God, is, is to understand that God has a great love for us. That's the platform on which all of this is built. God has a great love for us. And it says it right there. Um, but that word uh, that we translate in English as "great love," and then again there, there's a second word that we translate as "compassions." They're they're very interchangeable. They they could be translated as love or compassion or kindness, and mercy. In fact, where it says His compassions never fail, that Hebrew word "rachma," it means mercy. It means kindness but it also means to be deeply stirred from within your being. So these aren't just surface level feelings that we're talking about and dealing with. This is something far deeper. In fact, that word also has another use in the Old Testament. The same word is used to describe a woman's womb where a baby is put together, right? So these, this, is, this is deep, deep stuff. Um, Rahab, uh, you might know her. She's, or remember, she was the uh, woman in Jericho, who gave uh, shelter to the Israeli spies when they came to check out the city, and she knew that, that Israel was coming and was going to conquer this city, and this is what she said to Joshua. She said, now, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. That's the same word, Rahamah. show kindness to my family, mercy, because I have shown kindness to you give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters. She's begging for the lives of her family, and she uses that word, rachama. And it's, you know, that's odd to us to hear that and and think, how does that connect to a a woman's womb? Well, I I think a a pregnant woman is maybe the perfect example of what selfless love looks like, right? Because, you know, a woman's body during pregnancy at every step chooses the life of the baby growing inside her, Um, her body chooses to send the lion's share of uh, minerals uh, and nutrients like calcium and iron uh, to this growing life. In fact, I've talked about this before, but I just find it so fascinating that, you know, when a woman is pregnant, you'll see these lines develop in her fingernails, right? Because her body is choosing to send calcium that would otherwise fortify her fingernails and skin and bones and sending it to this life. That's rachamah, to choose someone over yourself. And there's a, there's a story, um, I always like to connect these things to Jesus' stories, because Jesus lived this more perfectly than we could, and he talks about it in ways that better than we could talk about it. And so there's a story in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus grapples with these things. And it's, um, you might be familiar with this story, it begins with Peter asking him a question. So this is Matthew chapter 18, verse 27. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, Peter, as well as Jesus, uh, grew up uh, in a culture that had adopted a system of laws and rules in order to govern their behavior. Now, the intention was good. We'll make rules and laws to make sure that our behavior, make absolutely certain our behavior conforms to the values of God. Right? These, were, these were followers of Yahweh, the same God that we follow but they created more and more rules all the time in order to constrict their behavior. And at this point in their culture, these rules and laws were actually choking the people of God. Um, And in in Jewish law, there was this principle that you would offer forgiveness upon the first time that someone offended you before going and seeking, um, seeking out justice. And so Peter says, I think Peter probably came to, Jesus thinking, he's going to think I'm really spiritual, because I'm going to say, how many times should I forgive? Should I do it seven times? That's six more times than I would otherwise be required to. Isn't that impressive, Jesus? And here's how Jesus responds. He says, I tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 70, seven times. Now, this is not just a metaphor. This is a mathematical equation, okay? So... Let's take a look at this for a second, all right? So Peter said what? He said, should I, do, should I forgive seven times, right? And when Jesus said what? Seven, 70 times. That's multiplication, right? Does anyone know what that is? What is it? 490. 490. That's right. That's quick math. Did you already have your phone open or what? 490. That's a lot of times. Now, we could think to ourselves, maybe Jesus meant I want you to forgive someone up to 490 times, but the 491st time that they offend you, you don't have to forgive them anymore. Is that what he's saying? This is more than metaphor. So something that is uh, lost to us a little bit is that, uh, as English speakers, is that Hebrew was an alphanumeric language. That means that every letter had a number that was connected to it, uh, we don't have that same, so, so we could probably count the alphabet, right? A equals 1, B equals 2, C equals 3. What, what number would, uh, would T equal in the English la- alphabet? No? Yeah, me neither. I don't know. Because we don't think of it that way, but if you were raised speaking Hebrew, you would know that every letter corresponds with a number. And you would know that intrinsically. And and you would be able to do this kind of math in your head like this. In fact, there's a Hebrew word, tamim. Okay, so let me write this out. Tamim. And this word is equal to 490. It's the same. It's interchangeable with the number 490. And that word means complete or finished, a finished work. So when Jesus says, no, no, it's not enough to just go the extra mile, I want to do a finished work in you, and I want to see that finished work exemplified in how you behave. When we offer mercy, when we offer forgiveness, we're acting out a finished work. And who has finished the work? Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? It was the last words he spoke before he died. It's recorded in the Gospels. He said what? It is finished. I've finished the work. I've done the work. Now you just play your part. It's not enough to... Tr- we're not talking about trying harder. If it was that, why would we even show up? We couldn't do it, right? We're not, we're not trying about trying, or talking about trying harder. We're talking about a work that has already been finished in us. So Jesus goes on to tell this in the form of a story now. He, he's going to give us a parable, and he says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. And here's what he said. We want to remember this in just a moment. Okay, this is important. He says, be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. Now, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Now, that's, that's a very small number compared to, what was it, 10,000 10, bags of gold and 100 silver coins? There's a big disparity, Right? But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him. Listen to what he says. Be patient with me. It's the same cry, right? And I will pay it back. Now, you would think at this point that this person would hear his own words coming out of the mouth of someone that owed him far less than he owed the king... But instead, he refused, it says. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay it back, all he owed. Yeah, it didn't go so good for him. This is how my fa- heavenly Father will treat if- each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, we're not meant to hear this and think uh, this is like the literal behavior of God. He's going to grab a hold of you and torture you until you forgive people. That's not the point of the story. This story is meant to shock the listener. It's meant to, you're meant to hear it and go, oh, my goodness. You're supposed to ask some uncomfortable questions of yourself when you hear this story like, like this one. Have I withheld mercy for someone because I decided they did not deserve it? Have I done that? After that interaction where I caught that kid, I, I walked back home kind of with my head <laughs> down, you know, and I, I told Amy, I said, I think we need a different approach. And so we, we wrote on a sign. This was during COVID, by the way. I, I, I don't know what was going on with this kid, but. He looked like he was in need, so we wrote on a sign and we put it on the door. Uh, to the gentleman who's been knocking on our door, if you need help, please knock. If you need food or water or anything else, please let us know. And and um, we didn't we didn't actually uh, connect with him, but I feel like maybe that was a little bit more in line with the t- with you know the heart of Jesus than chasing him down with a taser. So. This also makes you ask a question like, who am I exactly to decide who is deserving of mercy and who is deserving of judgment? You know, the, the older I get, the longer I've been following Jesus, the less inclined I am to want to offer judgment when I see the actions of someone and they don't align with the heart of Jesus. Because who am I? I'm a person that could be provoked to chase a person in the street. That's who who I am. I have been forgiven for so much. Who am I to pass judgment on another? You know, James talks about this. This is the stepbrother of Jesus. Uh, James, in in, uh, his book, in chapter 2, he says, "...because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful..." Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's easy to hear this and sound like... For, now, and I, I heard this verse for a lot of years, and I heard it like this, that if I act badly, God will crush me. That selfish people get what they deserve, therefore, be good. That's how I heard this. But I don't hear it that way anymore. I don't think that represents what James is trying to see, say. I think there's a way of thinking about this that's different. And that is that if we are followers of Jesus... That the work has already been finished. We're just now meant to live it out. That his values become ours. And, and mercy isn't just something that you should do. It's who you are becoming. You are becoming mercy. If mercy exists on this earth, it's because we are becoming mercy. As he does that work in us. Now Jesus laid, laid the groundwork for this this idea real early on in his ministry. when You might remember that he called a bunch of people to follow him, right? And he went around and he called people by name, and there was one particular instance where he called a man named Matthew. It's recorded in the book that Matthew wrote about it. And he called Matthew, who was a tax collector, a pariah. He was, he was hated by the Romans because he was a Jew, and he was hated by the Jews because he served the Romans. He, he, and he did it all because of money. He was a pariah. And Jesus came to him and said, will you follow me? And furthermore, will you host a dinner tonight at your house? And and at that dinner, where apparently there was also some prostitutes and some gamblers and some other types of people, uh, at that dinner, some Jewish uh, religious leaders came, and they peeked over the wall, and they saw this taking place. This is, uh, I call this dinners with sinners. This is a series of uh, dinners that Jesus had with sinners. Um, And... And some religious leaders peeked over the wall, saw this taking place, and they pulled aside a couple of Jesus followers, and they said, don't you know that your rabbi is having dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners? And Jesus overheard the conversation, and he stepped up from the meal, and he says this. He says, go away and learn what this means. And he quotes Hosea, the prophet. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus says, learn what this means, it makes you go, I better learn what that means. I need to understand it. And, I, and sometimes, I, I, there's been times in my walk with Jesus where I feel like maybe I didn't fully understand mercy. Because I think sometimes there's this projection that, that mercy, that kindness is just being nice. Have you ever heard that compliment? Oh, he's a real nice guy. He's such a nice lady. She's such a nice lady, you know. Um, this is the way we compliment people. He's a real nice guy. You'll you'll like him a lot. But mercy, kindness is not just being nice. It's not just a behavior. Mercy is a value. Have you ever felt some overwhelming piece of mercy? There was something that I did. I'm not going to tell the details of the story. It's not important. But there was something I did for someone some years back. And this woman, she asked me, she said, why are you doing this? Because mercy, without a motive, is chaos. Why would anyone do it, right? It's, it's not fair. I didn't really have a good answer at the time, but now I see that, that what it is is that, that Jesus is motivated in his mercy because of kindness. That's the reason, and it's the only reason that matters. So this is, this is our, our big idea that I want to kind of leave us with, um, kind of contemplate today which is this that mercy is the space God creates for us to meet him in a holy exchange we bring a lot of stuff to the table not all of it is good but God wants to sit down with us and he creates a space not all spaces are physical locations by the way sometimes they're just created by God through principle in order that we can meet him and connect with him and then exchange with him God, here are my ideas about life and how to live. And he said, oh, that's, that is interesting. That is interesting. Here are my ideas. And we begin to exchange, and we're made better because of it. Why do we need mercy? Why do we need mercy every day, like the passage in Lamentation says? We need it every day because we need it. We need it. Without mercy, we'd be lost you know this is the prophet uh, Micah who he's one of the smaller prophets but he's had some really powerful words about this he says this he has shown you o mortal what is good what does the lord require of you this should this should make us kind of tune our ear what does the lord require of us this might be important and he said this it's actually really simple he said to act justly in whatever way that you can be fair and just be those things But then he says, to love mercy, to love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. There was a time, I think, where I misunderstood the difference between belief and value. There's a difference between beliefs and value. I I believe in justice, but I've come to value kindness. Often, I think we, as followers of Jesus, we've thought that it was important to convince people of our beliefs. You see this a lot when things get real politically charged or, or charged because of things like COVID or you know moral issues in our country, where people are just screaming at each other, trying to convince each other of their beliefs. But often, I think, in the process, we make, we make our values seem very unconvincing. If I'm trying desperately to convince you of something that I believe and I, and I put that before everything else, then you don't believe th- that I value kindness. However, if we spend just as much time convincing people of our values, like kindness and like mercy, our beliefs will seem far more reasonable when we get around to having the conversation about them. Uh, I thought we could respond maybe like this, by, by asking ourselves, can we be a people about whom that it can be said, these three things, that no one owes us anything. You know, if you have a hard time showing mercy, if you look at your life and honestly you reflect upon it and you go, I have a hard time showing mercy, maybe it's because you're still trying to earn mercy for yourself. But let me remind you that what Jesus did on the cross completed the work. The mercy is already available to you. It doesn't matter how how wrong the thing is that kept you apart from God, Jesus has already overcome it. Now it's just up to you to embrace that mercy. And second, can we say that we cannot be offended? That we cannot be offended? Christians should be the hardest people in the world to offend because of how much mercy we've received. Sometimes it seems like the opposite, doesn't it? Gosh, we're an easily offended people. Let's commit this year to being the hardest person to offend in your particular circle, your sphere of influence. And lastly, I want to have us say this about ourselves that mercy is always our first response. It doesn't mean that it's our only response to everything at all times, but it should be our first response. Mercy and kindness should flow out of us the way it has flown into our lives. Luke says this, um, Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's a high standard. That is. And thank goodness we have help meeting that standard. Amen.
0: We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find hope. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.